morning, church. So glad you are here. It is good to see you. It is good to be in the house. Good to be in the house. Let's just say that. Welcome, everyone. Uh, take a breath. Find your rest. If you're joining us at home, we welcome you there as well. Glad you are joining us. Today's reading from Psalm, the first three verses there, first three uh, sections you'll see, are directions to us. This is what we are called to do. And I pray as I read them and you hear them, this is what you ask your heart to do. And the next one I think is a prayer. Because it talks about the rulers of this world. And I believe this is a prayer to them that this is what they need to do. Let's go to the Word. Come everyone, clap your hands for joy. Shout to God with joyful praise. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. Sing praise to God. Sing praises. Sing praise to our King. Sing praises. For the God is the King over all the earth. Praise Him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on His holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together. They join us in praising the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, may that be a a directive to our hearts to praise you, Lord God. No matter where we find ourselves right now, Lord God, maybe we're struggling. Maybe we're going through a hard time. Praise him. Maybe we're at the high mountain. Continue to praise him. May everything we do here in this place lift him up and praise your name, Lord God. And yes, Lord God, may the rulers of this world come to acknowledge you as king. And Lord over all, bless this service. May every part of it lift your name. May we lift our voices in praise to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me as we do the creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship. Good morning, everyone. This opening song, Blessed Be Your Name, has a line that really speaks to me. It says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Think about that. Every blessing. So whether you find yourself in a season of want or a season of plenty, Let us look to the blessings that he has bestowed upon us and turn those blessings into praise. One, two, three, four.
Those things that I am afraid of, oh God, they are afraid of you. Just think about that idea. There are times I find myself plagued by fear. Maybe you've been there. But the truth is, those things that we fear, they're afraid of our God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory to your name, O God. Sing the doxology with me again. Praise God from online this morning. It's good to know that you're there. I can't say it's good to see you. Wish I could, but I'm glad you've joined us this morning. And this is your prayer time as well as our prayer time. Our gracious and our most merciful Heavenly Father, we adore you. 
My heart is steadfast, O God. We will sing. We have sung. And we have made melody in our hearts and our voices this morning. And we'll continue to give thanks to you always. We will sing your praises to you among all peoples. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds above. And so be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over all the earth. We admit once again that we failed to do our very best for you. We've been selfish, sometimes self-centered. And we've often placed our wills and our plans ahead of your will and your plans. Forgive us and burn in us a desire to make you first in everything, in our work, in our recreation, in our family and among our friends, and even and especially in our church and in the ministries that you have given to us. Before another hour goes by, we confess to you that we are weak and we need your strength. We need your guidance and your wisdom for every part of our lives, Lord. Forgive us and help us to be forgiving to others and fill us again with your spirit and sanctify us for better and more consistent service to you. Lord, we're grateful for so many things. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your Son, to save us from the penalty of sin, which we admit we fully deserve. Thank you for sending your Spirit to indwell us and to lead us into righteous living. And thank you for your promises which sustain us throughout all of our pain and problems. Thank you for the blood and broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remind us again as we gather at your table this morning that our freedom and assurances came at an awful price. Help us to receive the elements this morning with a spirit of thankfulness and humility. And now, Lord, we present to you our supplications. We ask for your healing and restoration for those who need it today. We ask for your guidance and wisdom so that we might know how to live and serve you. And Lord, we remember all of the missionaries and their families that we support. Please continue to grant them good health and provide for all of their needs. Protect them by your spirit when they are in dangerous situations. Bless their ministry and their efforts to build your kingdom wherever they may be. Bless now the remainder of this service. We pray that your anointing would rest on our pastor as he brings us the word from James this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to receive what your spirit is saying to us today. All of these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
Amen. Take a moment and greet someone this morning. Good morning again. It's nice to see everyone greeting each other. We're glad you're here. If you are new here, if this is one of your first weeks with us, we would love to know that you're visiting. If we would love to know that someone brought you, we would love to know that you just drove by and happened to think, maybe I'll come to church this morning. Um, whatever brought you here, we are really glad. If you wouldn't mind filling out a card, um, there are new here cards in front of you. You can scan it um, and give your information. You can write it down and um, bring it over to our information table. And if you do that, um, there's a gift for you. So if you got a, a new here card or a new information card this morning, please bring those things over to our um, information center and there's something waiting for you there. Also, we have a couple things coming up um, planned for this. The vault is holding its first ever um, breakfast. This is a time where you are invited to come. There is no charge for breakfast slash brunch. Um, there will be a food truck providing a buffet um, meal for you, and you will be served by kids who are served at the vault. Um, Brian and his team will pre- be presenting about their ministry, um, and you will have an opportunity to invest in that if you would like to, um, but please, we would invite you. Um, this is a time to encourage our vault leaders, encourage our students, enjoy a little breakfast together. So 9 o'clock on June 10th, um, put that in your calendar and plan to be up in the Fellowship Center um, to enjoy some time together and learn about that ministry that's making a great impact in the center of Washington. Also, um, you heard me announce last week that we are forming a nominating committee for um, deacons. Um, Deacons will start serving in September, and so we need that committee to meet a few times in the summer to plan for that. So we already have, I think, one member of our congregation who's willing to serve, so we just need one more um, congregant who's a member of this church. If you are interested in doing that to helping um, to help move that process along you can also go to the um, information center after service talk to pastor jerry and he'll get you pointed in the right direction but we would love for you to be part of that team as we prepare for new deacons Um, also coming up and as you've seen in your bulletin as well is our baptism service baptism will be held on june 11th and um, there'll be classes you only have to go to one you don't have to go to both so either june 5th or june 11th right before service there'll be baptism classes so you can find out more about what it means to be baptized, if that's a new concept for you. Um, But if you are a believer and have not been baptized yet, um, 
make that commitment, make that choice, and it's coming up. So you can talk to Pastor Jason. You can talk to Pastor Jerry at the Information Center as well about that. And finally, um, thank you. I, first, I'm going to say thank you because I put up our bulletin board last week for Vacation Bible School, and all almost like half the stars have already disappeared. So thank you for taking those stars to donate things to Vacation Bible School. There is a mission control table out there waiting for you to put those um, items on. So if you've taken a donation star off the bulletin board you can bring that back place it at our uh, mission control and that will go right to where it needs to go we just need all of our items before july 2nd so you have a little bit of time but that'll give us time um, to get prepared for takeoff Um, and again you can always sponsor a student for 25 dollars coming to vacation bible school and please if you haven't Um, signed up yet you can sign up to be a volunteer you can sign up your kids um, on the website um, or you can scan the qr code it will take you right there one of our core values here is that missions and outreach is our mindset we are always we're thinking of the next generation we're thinking of ways we can serve the kids here but we are wanting to open our doors to the community and this is one of the way one of the biggest ways that we do this in this building um, is by having vacation bible school volunteers come from churches all over the area kids come from communities all over the area so as you're passing our stars and passing our planets out there um, please be praying for the kids and families that will be serving this July and we are so grateful every year um, for this way to serve not only the people here but to open our doors and serve our community so on that note um, let's stand together we thank you for your giving we thank you for the ways that you um, provide for the ministries here and let's worship God in Christ alone In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Again, whether you find yourself in a season where the sun is shining and you're in plenty and everything's great, or you find yourself in a time of want where all you can see is your need, I trust that in Christ alone you put your hope you put your trust in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and
pray with me this morning? Jesus, even as we were singing that, I was cognizant of so often where I don't look to you to find my hope. At least not at first. God, I pray for all of us this morning that we would find our hope in you. God, I pray for churches in our region this morning. That your presence would both here and at churches all across our area. That your presence would be manifested in a way that we would, your body, all Christians, people who find their hope in Christ, that we would be instilled with your hope. So that as we represent you in our area, in our towns and in our communities, there would be something different about us. That people, not because we go to a certain church, but because we believe in Jesus, we have a hope that other people want to experience. Be honored by everything we say and do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you guys are released to Children's Church. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it is an honor to have you joining us today. Uh, I'd love to get to, if you're new, if we haven't met, I'd love to get to know you, find out how you heard about our church, and see what we could do to serve you. Uh, it, it really is uh, an honor to all of us that you choose to to carve out some time to be here today. We, and if you're, before I say we, and if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're here, um, and uh, we hope that you experience God's presence and encourage you to, to answer questions about that I ask. Answer them in the chat so that you can find community with one another, encourage each other as we go through this morning's service. If you're new with us, if we if we haven't uh, if you haven't been with us recently, we are in the middle of a journey through the book of James and. And this is a little different for us. Oftentimes, I will take a passage of scripture or a topic of a, uh, or, or on a topic and we'll talk about a topic or different views on that topic over a set of series of weeks. But every once in a while, we just take a, a book of the Bible and we try to walk through it. And so we're walking through the book of James. The book of James is found in the New Testament. It's behind Hebrews, in front of First and Second Peter, and First and Second Third John. It's written by. It was. I talk. It's written. I talk like it's currently being written. It, it was written a little while ago. Uh, it was written by uh, one of Jesus's brothers. Who uh, we as we read through the Gospels, we we see that Jesus' family was not always a huge fan of his. But in uh, after Jesus uh, dies and raises again, we read in the Book of Acts, uh, his family has a conversion experience, and eventually his his half brother James uh, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's basically the first pastor of the first 
church, if you will. And so um, he is, he's writing to people that he cares about. And right in the beginning of, of the book, if you remember, we, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He says to the Christians scattered around uh, the region, what's happened is there's been a drought and there's been major persecution in Jerusalem. And so the uh, Jewish Christians have scattered They've gone to places all over the Mediterranean area, and they are trying to... uh, I would dismiss the kids, right? I didn't forget to do that, right? Okay, good. He's trying to write to his friends, and he's he's understanding, and here's the main crux of of what we'll talk about today. Here's the main crux of chapter 1. Here's the main crux of his book. Being a Christian isn't always easy. If you've been told... That when you come to Christ, everything is roses. You've been fed a bag of goods. Sorry to burst the bubble. Being a Christian, living in this world isn't always easy. And so James, very early on, very early on in the Christian experience, probably a decade or so after Jesus has died and risen again and ascended to heaven, James is writing to people all over the region, trying to encourage them by what it means to be a Christian in a very difficult world. I don't know if you've ever experienced being a Christian in a difficult environment. Maybe you work in an environment that isn't the most encouraging for Christians. Maybe you went, you grew up a Christian and you went to high school and high school in America for Christians is not always the easiest place to be to live out your faith. Well, On a very real scale, these first century Christians are experiencing what some Christians here, even today around the world, are experiencing. It's not always easy. And so James writes to them out of a a love for them and a desire to help them. He gives them this book, which is really a guide for Christian living. Um, he provides them a guide for living, uh, uh, living a holy life in an unaccepting world. And so we're going to jump into verse, to chapter 1, starting at verse 19 this morning. And I'll try not to too much to step on what we've talked about already. But as we go through this, there'll probably be an overlap or things I refer back to or things we talk about today that we'll refer back to um, as we continue throughout the book. But starting in verse 19 of chapter 1, James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. By the way, one of my parents' favorite verses for me when I was growing up. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And no one else heard that when they were little? You got two ears and one mouth, you should listen twice as much as you talk? Maybe I'm the only one. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, rid, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Which can save you? Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves righteous, or those who consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a, a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. James doesn't pull any punches here. He, he's shooting straight uh, in order to really uh, be precise with his words. Verse 27, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This past Wednesday night, uh, we explored 1 Peter chapter 2 in our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm going to take a little uh, aside to encourage you to uh, come out and attend our Wednesday night Bible studies. Our Wednesday night Bible studies are great, and I don't just say that because I'm the one leading them, because sometimes I don't lead them, and they're still great. Uh, but it's an opportunity for people to really dig into Scripture and uh, and discuss it, and and we try to we carve out times in our in our in our Wednesday night Bible studies where we just read the Scripture and we talk about it. And sometimes we'll have things that really speak to us. And sometimes we'll have stuff that we don't really like. You ever read the Bible and find stuff you don't really like? If you, ha- if you haven't read this Bible and found stuff you don't really like, read the Bible more. Because there'll be stuff you don't like. And it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with Scripture and talk about it and work through it. That's how it becomes more rooted in our lives. And so I encourage you to join us on Wednesday nights as we try to do that. But we're, we're right now we're working through Second Peter and uh, I mean through First Peter. And this week it was First Peter two. And in First Peter chapter two, Peter uses a metaphor uh, uses a metaphor to describe the church, and he talks about it as a stone, and he talks about us as living stones. And he did this to encourage the early church. Uh, stone walls, altars, temples, columns, statues. They're stone, all made out of stone, all prevalent in the first century. All a part of what we would now call Roman art and Roman uh, architecture. This was a, a part of their world, and stone in that time, and maybe today because a lot of it still exists, was a, was, was a symbol of permanence, of strength. Uh, it was, and so Peter describes us as stones, and he talks about us as the stone, the, the cornerstone, Jesus, as this bedrock foundation. You know, for some people, depending on your perspective, um, a stone could mean imprisonment or stubbornness. But, Paul, but Peter doesn't use those as a way to discourage, use that term as a way to discourage, use that metaphor as a way to discourage the church in, in that. He's talking about how there's security in Christ. There's safety in Christ. And so for this first century church that's almost, that's just being put together, it's just in its formation stages, and they can look around and see religions of all types in their world have these things that seem to grasp onto, these, uh, we, we might call them idols, if you will, but they were, they were, you could see them, you could prove their significance in their world. The early church doesn't have any of these. And 
Peter says, no, we don't have those things to draw onto. We have Jesus who's making us into that firm foundation. We can have, we can have confidence even though we may not have all the decadence that other religions of other countries or other things have. We find our confidence as stones. Jesus is carving us to be a foundation in this world. And so, uh, when, when Peter writes his stone section, he knew that there was, it was not always easy. And he's telling them you can be confident in Jesus in this uneasy world. And that unstable, that uneasy world, that just developing community is the community that James is writing to. Two weeks ago when I, when we first started this, this journey through James, uh, the first, I said the first thing that James tells people to do when they're trying to deal with a difficult world is to ask God for wisdom. James says when you're overwhelmed, when you're not sure what you should do, ask God for wisdom. This is a wonderful uh, um, tenant that we should take hold of. It's a wonderful piece of advice for you. In every aspect of your life, we as a church should do this. In every aspect of our life, we should pray first. When we're faced with a situation that we can't figure out, we should pray. When we're in a situation where we're dealing with a person who's difficult, I know it's hard to believe that you might have to deal with difficult people. If you never, I shouldn't say this, I'm going to do it. If you never have to deal with difficult people, you might be the difficult person. When you're in these situations where you just can't figure it out, pray. Let praying for, let asking God for wisdom become a habit in your life. And James, after he says ask for wisdom, the next thing he says is trust God for it. How much does our Heavenly Father who loves us want to give us good things? Trust that God, we can trust that God will provide us wisdom. Just like the early church, there are times where we experience new experiences. There are things we haven't done, things we haven't gone through. These, this group of people, many of them were living in new cities. They were, they were, uh, trying to find community and struggling. Oftentimes they would, you know, it was the habit, it would be the norm for a Jewish person to move into a new city and go to the synagogue to find community there. But a, a new, not all synagogues, not all areas, not all groups of Jewish people in this, in this time frame are accepting of this new way of looking that, that, that the Messiah has come. And so these Jewish people, they're going through the, these that James writes to, they're going through these experiences where they're having difficulty, but James says, God will be faithful to you. God is faithful to two things. He's always faithful to his promises, and he's always faithful to his people. And so James writes to these people who are unsure of how everything's going to go, and says, you can be sure of God. In our lives as Christians, we go through difficult times. 
And one of the blessings, we talked about blessings this morning. We, t- we sung about them and we said, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back into praise. When we go through difficult times as Christians and we, we see our way through or we see God do something or we are encouraged by someone or there's some element of God's blessing, God gives us those things and they're wonderful things for us to grab onto. They're great to celebrate, but they're also important for us to remember. You see, they serve as building blocks for the next time we go through something. When God has given us a blessing that has proven himself, it emboldens us to know that if he did it this time, he'll do it this time. And so we take these experiences and we build confidence in them. But sometimes, early in our faith journey, we're not so sure. Maybe we've never experienced God do something. Or maybe we're later in our faith journey and we're facing a mountain bigger than we've ever faced before. And it's hard to believe that God could do it on this scale. And so in those moments, we need encouragement, like those first century Christians needed encouragement, where they experience a note note from their pastor saying, it's going to be okay. If you don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. If you're in a situation this morning and you're not sure what to do, ask God for wisdom. If you're in a job search, if you're here and you're in a job search and you're not sure what to do, ask God for wisdom. If you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking about college and you're not sure what to do, ask God for wisdom and trust that he will provide it to you. So after encouraging them to ask for wisdom and to trust God, James's next instruction is to, that they should persevere. Because it's not always easy to live in this world. Jesus had warned, and you can read this in John chapter 16, Jesus had warned the disciples that they would go through difficult times, that they would have trouble. After this letter, after James, Paul eventually uh, goes on missionary journeys and writes letters to the churches he wanted to encourage, and he tells them that they're, they're going to they're gonna face many hardships. We read the book of Acts and we can see how difficult it was for the early church. It has always been for followers of Christ that there are difficult times, that there are trials. Some of them are relatively easy. Some of them are really difficult. And, and the fact is the contemporary church, our church, still is experiencing these types of trials. And James says trials have a purpose. God uses these trials to help us grow and mature in our faith. But James also seeks to clarify one important truth. While God will give us trials, God will test us. He will never tempt us. And so when we're in experience, we're experiencing temptation. We're experiencing a time where we're uh, tempted to walk into Sin or fail or bad choices. That temptation does not come from God. God doesn't woo us with candy into dark places. As we sometimes believe he might. He does allow us to go through trials and see there's a difference between trials or, or tests and temptation. We can't avoid trials. 
But when we're faced with them, when we, we're engaged with them, we can make the decision to respond to them with confidence in God's providence and a determination to glorify God in the midst of those trials. We can trust that even though when God allows us to go through a trial, we can depend on him to display, to work in us, to help us display his character in, a, in the world. James, Peter, John, three uh, important figures in the early church, three people who write letters in the New Testament. They all talk, write about this. And so James encourages perseverance, reminding his, his audience that the perfection of Christian character is God's goal in our trials. God's working to perfect his work in us through trials we walk through. Now, perfection is often a goal. It's often a goal for us. And when it's our goal, when it's your goal to be perfect, it's a problem. You'll never get there. James was, uh, it's unattainable. And so perfection is unattainable. So James is not trying to push early Christians to say, you have to be perfect. When you're facing a feeling that you have to be perfect, that's not coming from God. But it's something that many of us deal with. In fact, many, most of us are way more cognizant of our failures because we regret them than our successes in which we could celebrate them. If you get it, some of you, see, there's, this is probably a 50-50 thing in this room. When you were a kid, if you got a 98 on a test, some of us are like, yes! Other of us are like, what did I get wrong? What did I get wrong? And it bugs us. By the way, when I say us on that one, I'm not included in that one. It bugs you. I have a son. 98 would drive him nuts. He would go and argue why his 2% was right. He wouldn't at all talk about the 98%. There, there is a desire in us, seemingly, especially in our Western society, that a desire or a call to be perfect. That's not what James is talking about in his first chapter. This self-given desire that we have to be better than everybody else. James says, God's working in us to fulfill his perfect will in us. God is forming us. Going back to Peter's illustration of stone. God's the one using the chisel to create the work of art that you are. And if you're here this morning and you don't think you're a work of art, that's another thing you got wrong. Ephesians says we are God's masterpiece. You are exactly who God created you to be. And the scriptures teach us that his spirit is working in us to transform us into the person 
into the person he can use to fulfill his will. And so James is not trying or pushing anybody to be perfect. He's encouraging his audience to welcome God into their trials so that God can do the transformative work in their character and so that his perfect will can be accomplished. When you're going through the difficult times that are inevitably going to come, one of the most theologically accurate prayers you can pray Help! And know that he will. Now some of you are here this morning and you're like, I've been praying that prayer for a long time and I don't feel like it's happened. And so that's where that third instruction comes. James says, persevere. And it may feel like it's easy for me to say, but there's an understanding That you're not alone in your struggle. And James writes to people who are struggling and he says, listen, our Savior struggled too. And when you struggle for him, you align yourself with him. Doesn't make it easy. I'd love to tell you there was a magic equation. Do this, problems go away. It's not the way it works. And so James has this understanding of God's place in our struggles that is at odd with some of our common theology. You know, earnest, earnest believers, myself included, we sometimes say things like, God never puts more on you than you could bear. Or we'll warn people sometimes, don't pray for patience. Because you know what happens when you pray for patience. God's going to send you a trial so big that will force you to have patience and he'll teach you endurance. James, however, combats that and he says, God never sends evil. Evil is not a tool of God to form us into his being. When bad things happen, and they will, that's not God saying, let me see what I could do here. It's the result of a fallen world. And so James says God is faithful both to his own gracious character and to his beloved. We're not God's offspring, his people by accident. God birthed us in keeping with his single-minded, loving purpose. And that, and in that, James, we find, uh, James's understanding of God, we hear echoes of Jesus' teaching. Believers should, in, uh, should not fear to ask God for assistance. That's Matthew chapter 7, like a loving parent. Uh, Matthew, also Matthew, Matthew chapter 7 God only gives good gifts. And so if you're going through a difficult time, Jesus said that'll happen. But Jesus isn't the cause of it. He may use it to test us, but he doesn't tempt us. James understood that there's this inner battle that's rooted in our own self-centered desires. 
And he describes these desires as an almost irresistible lure that baits us. I'm not a fisherman. By any means. I don't like the fish. I don't like what happens when you catch the fish, because you got to touch the fish. Nothing about fishing do I like. But I have FOMO. I need to be near the party or the center of the action. And so the amount of times I've stupidly gone fishing, which I hate, with friends who I like, and when when I go fishing with people who know what they're doing, they all like, there's certain baits that they will use to catch certain fish. Me, I'm taking the first thing out of the tackle box. I don't know what we're catching. I don't know what's supposed to use to catch them. But it, this, this is a bait thing, so it'll catch. Every fish likes worms as far as I'm concerned. But there are certain, there are certain bait that work with certain fish. That's the way we, James describes us too. There are certain things that are in our self-centeredness that lure us. It's hard for us to turn away from it. And once we bite, then the natural history of desire plays out. With our cooperation, our self-centered desire conceives and births sin. And once it, the sin matures, it, it leads us towards death and destruction. But God stands outside of this progression. This natural progression of desire, sin, death, and destruction. And he's not, uh, he is not one who is tempted and he's not one who tempts. Rather, God models other-centeredness. I love this phrase. God, instead of self-centeredness, God uh, models other-centeredness. Indeed, James teaches, and we see it in verse 17, that all giving, all generosity originates in God, who is always and forever the great giver. And from the good gifts of creation to the, the liberating acts from God on behalf of Israel to God's self-giving of Jesus, God freely shares without discrimination. He is the great giver. Furthermore, there is, God is responsible for, for a competing progression. That natural progression of, uh, uh, that leads us to sin, to, uh, de- uh, for desire to sin, to death and destruction. God presents a different one. God is, uh, according to God's loving purpose, God births believers, believers through the word of truth. And once birthed, these, fir- these first fruits of creation offer a promise to all. In verse 12, James identifies this promise as the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so for those of us, or for those who deny ourselves out of a love for God, and wholeheartedly join this struggle, for justice, for God's way in the world. There's a different pattern where we die to ourselves and put others first. And a new birth, a new desire is birthed that leads to life and freedom.
self-centered desire and its spawn of death do not have the final word for us who are Christians. Rather, God's creative and regenerative purposes will. They have the final word. And the key word there is final. God's purpose will, 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 will win out in the end. But while you're here, there may be struggles. And so this is the community James is trying to encourage. They've never been through this before. This whole thing is new to them. I told you I'm not a fisherman. I'm not in anything in terms of animal raising dealing with. So this week I've heard a couple of people talk to me about their chickens experience. There are some of you who raise chickens. Very interesting decision on your part. I commend you. But some of you have like heat lamps in your house. And like, I don't even know what it's like, are like little drops that you're feeding these baby chicks so that they can find sustenance. That they'll grow up. But right now, it's all, you're almost feeding them by hand. I find this to be fascinating. I was talking to one person this week. She said, well, yeah, I have to wake up at four to deal with the baby chicks. That is commitment. Gee, that's the way Jesus and God is dealing. And James, like, James is talking about God dealing with us as we, where we're young. He will commit to us. And make sure we're fed in whatever way we need to so that we can grow and mature in our faith. And as we grow and mature in our faith, his purposes shine forth. And so as as first fruits, James's community is to is tangible evidence of the inbreaking of God's gracious rule. God changes us to begin to see the world differently, to care for other people. And we become people whose character and integrity models that of God. And so uh, James calls on believers to be persons of integrity. Just as God is the one without variation or shadow due uh, due to change. In particular, James strongly instructs those who have heard God's word, act out on the truth they have heard. For those of you who have studied ethics, in the world of ethics, um, it's one thing. Knowing what the right thing to do isn't enough. Knowing why the right thing to do isn't even sufficient. The the ethical person not only knows what is right, why it's right, but also does the right thing, even in the face of, uh, even in the situation where it demands moral courage. The mirror doesn't lie, James says. Um, Not all who glimpse themselves act on what they've seen. James offers almost like a beatitude, if you will. He, in verse 125, he uses the phrase, doers who act. The promise is that not only do we know the word, but we act on it. And when we do, we will be blessed in our doing. 
there have been times that that phrase has caused some struggle with the book of James. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, why some people have struggled with the books of, book of James over the years, because there's been an idea that it talks too much about what we're supposed to do. It, there is an element of our Christianity that is emphasized in what we do. Jesus calls us to be light in the dark world. We can only be light in a dark world when God's character is seen. And the way God's chosen to work in this world is to reveal his character through us. And so there's an element of our, of our faith that is, that it's incumbent that we act out our faith in a way that represents God. We're supposed to be doers, not just hearers. Chapter 1 ends with this challenge of this new perspective on religion. Uh, that at once looks back on the demand to be doers of the word and anticipates the call uh, that we'll talk about in chapter 2. James presents this test that I find challenges me. What James puts forth at the end of chapter 1 is not what I learned how to be a Christian. Maybe you're like me, and this is what you learned how to be a Christian. Being a Christian is coming and putting our faith in Jesus. When we accept him as our Savior... We become a Christian. Anybody else hear that in their lives? I think that's true. We're supposed to come and put our faith in Jesus. But James says, the evidence of that experience is true religious activity. True religious activity that God looks on. Think about what you might have. I mean, you can leverage this moment to understand where I'm going because we already read the passage. But think about in your life what you would think of as true religious activity. Pure religious activity. What, what are some things you might promote as pure religious activity? Prayer. What else? What's that? Bible st- reading the scriptures, which he talks about. Prayer, he talks about. What else? Fasting. What else? Going to church. That's a good one. That, that's a real one. Church is better when you're here. And James says... He doesn't say fasting. He doesn't. He do, earlier in the, in the chapter, he talked about prayer, ask for wisdom. He talked about be readers of the word. He talks about spending time in the word. He talks about doing these things that help us learn about God. And he says the fruit of it is this. That you'll take care of orphans and widows. That when you find somebody in need, you're generous towards them. 
that we model the generos we model God. The other centeredness that He's talking about gets modeled. The way the fruit of God's work in our lives is that nobody goes out without. The fruit of God's work in our lives is not so much that we're aware of what we need, but the, that we're aware of someone else's need. That challenges me. James wants the church to represent Jesus in a difficult world by being defined by a distinct characteristic, by a distinct character that the church and its individuals, both. So, when we're Christian, we're Christian. We come to Christ. And we become part of the body of Christ. Which is why we prayed for all the churches in our area this morning. Because we're all on the same team, if you will. We're all, we believe some different things. I read a I read a memoriam this morning to Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a famous pastor that a lot of us pastors geek out on. Uh, he's a pastor. He was a pastor in New York City of Redeemer Church and um, very uh, kind of. Uh, a pioneer in in the world of being able to straddle uh, Christian academia and pastoring, church attendance, or church participation. And he passed away this week from cancer. Um, pretty well known in, in Christian circles that he was sick for a while. And um, I read a a memoriam to him from someone who has very little theological alignment with him. And in, in the memoriam, in the, in the letter that he posted, he wrote about all the things they disagree with. And then he said, in spite of all that, I love Tim Keller. Because all those things, they're real and I, they're, they're, they created angst amongst us and we would debate them. But I loved watching Tim love people. We live in a world that can clearly be defined by our differences. And James writes to this this group of people who are, first of all, they're living in Roman world, not even in in Israel. They are distinct from their communities already. And he said, don't be known by your differences. When you're a Christian, you may not agree with everything, but you're part of a body. We call it an ecumenical medical idea, not medical. We're, we're together by something that's bigger than what drives us differently. And so James writes to them and says, individually you should have this character of Jesus, and corporately you should too. And so sometimes this will play itself out when you're at the grocery store and the person in front of you doesn't have enough change and they're going to decide to remove an item. And you say, ah, I got the difference. And sometimes it plays it out 
itself out by when we on Thursday afternoons have a line of cars up the driveway because as a church we're trying to feed as many families as we can. It's important for us to pray. It's important for us to read our Bible, even fasting. It's important for us to do these disciplines that help us grow in our faith journey. But if those things help us, that help us grow in our faith journey, don't lead to us taking care of each other. We're missing something. In God's kingdom, James says, he gives without discrimination. Everybody is welcome at the table. It's one of the great things about the body of Christ. It's complete because of its diversity. And so when we come to the table, we're all welcome. And we should all James says, in the midst of your struggle, be caring for people. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you give indiscriminately, that we are all welcome and all beneficiaries of your blessings. Help us to bear the fruit of your love in our lives in a way that cares for others instead of caring for ourselves. your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. If you're new with us, we share communion at the end of each, just about each of our services. And the way we do it is we uh, come receive the elements from the elders in the front. You're welcome to partake. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. But you don't have to feel any pressure if you don't want to participate. And if you're not able to come, we'll Make sure it gets delivered to you. We're going to ask that you stand, you come forward, you receive the elements, and you make your way back to your seat, and we'll share them together. Go ahead.
scripture teaches us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus was having supper with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. And as he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. As often as you eat this meal, do it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for your body broken for us. God, I thank you that there's no obstacle. That no hoop we have to jump through that makes us available to receive your body. That you died for each and every single one of us. Pray that our response to your dying for us is that we would live for you. Would you take the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can be here generations later exploring the truth that you have given us through your word. I pray that we would know your word and that we would be doers of you. In your name we pray. Would you take the cup? I'm going to offer the benediction, invite you to stand for that. But before I do, I just want to let you know, if you would like prayer this morning, be anointed with oil. We'll have some prayer people, uh, some prayer members up here who would be willing to pray with you. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, as we go this week, I pray that people would recognize your peace in us. And that we would see the needs as you see them. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Tomorrow. Tomorrow.